0: And now I am going to hand over to the very lovely Mrs. Jacinda Lilly, my wife. I'm going I'm to pray for her as she, uh, as she brings the message. So God, I just thank you, for, thank you for your presence here. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here at work in lives. And I thank you for, uh, for your scriptures, for the words that you give us that guide us in, in life and faith. God and I thank you too for Jacinda I pray that you would anoint her with uh, the ability to, to bring your words to us, I pray that you would also open our hearts and our heads to be able to hear exactly what you're wanting to bring to us for our, uh, to, to, to spur us on, to encourage us to, uh, to, to bring your life and, and deposit it in us God so we thank you f- for all that you're doing amongst us and will do this morning in Jesus name, Amen Alright pretty fun times, hey. Okay, well, we are well and truly into our series where we've been unpacking the first uh, letter from Paul to uh, the church in Corinth. It's called 1 Corinthians, funny that. And uh, we've been spending the last few weeks just sort of looking at all the different advice and teaching and encouragement that Paul is bringing to this young church. It's not a very old church, he actually started it. He was with them for 18 months and then he continued on in his travels. It's full of these young Christians trying to figure out how to do life. And Faith within their context and within their culture that was in Corinth, and Corinth was like this happening city. It was kind of—it's been described as like the New York of uh, its day. It was just this thriving, bustling, sort of anything goes kind of a place. And uh, and so the church in Corinth, uh, some of it was doing great. They are full of enthusiasm and excitement and passion, and some of it was a mess. And so Paul's been getting reports back about what's been happening, and as a result, because he uh, fathered this church, really, he is sending back this uh, teaching and encouragement and just wisdom to help guide them and shape them as they're trying to figure out what does this actually look like. And I don't know about for you, but but for me, I've been pretty encouraged by what we've been looking at so far. How about you? For those of you who've been with us, uh, just... I've taken encouragement from the fact that while they are pursuing God and and doing really well in some things, that they're actually still messy. They're just regular people trying to figure out faith. And they're doing that with all the blind spots and all the challenges and opportunities that there are within the culture and the time that they're living in. And that's kind of the same for us, isn't it? We're a bunch of people. We're a young church. We're trying to figure out as best we can how to follow Jesus and how to live out our faith in the context and within the culture that we have with all the challenges and opportunities that there are within it, aren't we? So uh, as I've been looking at Paul, and I'm sure many of you have sort of, if nothing else, you've been getting instalments on Sundays, and if you've been reading them between times, there's a whole lot of good stuff for us today, not just for the church that he was writing to then. So today we're going to look at a section of uh, the book or the letter uh, from chapters 12 to 14. And uh, we're actually going to miss out chapter 13. It's interesting that this particular section of the letter, uh, Paul is spending two chapters, chapter 12 and 14, uh, looking at this whole area of spiritual gifts and what they are and how we use them and why we've been given them and trying to bring some correction around that because it's been getting a little bit hairy. Um, and right smack in the middle of these two chapters, we find this famous chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 13. You'll often hear it referenced at weddings because it's, you know, it's all the good stuff of what love is. And, uh, and he's put that right sandwiched and smooshed in between these two chapters on spiritual gifts, which is interesting timing. He didn't do it by accident. But we're going to just park chapter 13. We're going to sort of lift it up and out. And we're going to just spend a whole morning looking at that in a couple of weeks, But today and next week, we're going to look at the overview of what Paul's talking about with regards to spiritual gifts. So chapter 12 and chapter 14, I'm kind of doing broad strokes stuff today. Matt's going to spend a bit more time unpacking all of this next week and looking at what that means for us. In chapter 12, we see that Paul is laying this really deep foundation that is telling us and telling the Corinthians that every single member of Christ's family is really important. And all of us have a part to play. And then in chapter 14, he then demonstrates what that looks like practically. So we're going to unpack that this morning. And what we discover is, is that we have been made to be naturally supernatural. When we came into relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and his activity in our lives, we discover that there's all these gifts available to us that make us naturally supernatural. He adds kind of the supernatural dynamic to how we get to live out our faith. And all of that is available to all of us. And so I want to start this morning just clarifying this isn't a debate about whether or not the spiritual gifts are alive and well and still kicking in our day and age, because I believe that they are. I don't think there's any indication in New Testament Scripture that the writers of Scripture expected that, These things would cease when the apostles died or when Jesus died. As long as the church is living out her part of history, the spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit is available to us today. And we certainly see demonstrations of that throughout church history. So that's, I'm just sort of parking that. I'm not going to unpack that um, and uh, and hope that you'll, if you want to do more digging in that or you want to have a conversation with us another time, that would be fine. But we're starting from that place of understanding that the spiritual gifts are still present, which means that Paul's teaching about them is just as relevant and just as pertinent for us today. Okay, good-o. All right, let's have a look at a couple of things that the Corinthians were actually getting a bit stuck on or struggling with. One of the things is that they'd kind of, if they'd ever had it, they'd sort of lost the sense of, well, why, why have they got these things and what are we supposed to do with them and how do we handle them well so everyone benefits? It had got a little bit hairy, and uh, and remember a few weeks back when we right at the beginning of the series we re- re- kind of looked at what uh, Corinthian society was all about. It was very hierarchical. It was a Rome, part of the Roman Empire, so um, it was very structured. There was status involved and different roles that there were within society. Now, unsurprisingly, some of these new Christians had kind of brought some of that thinking into how they were doing church and living out their faith and using the spiritual gifts. So what had happened was is that some people had kind of slipped into this thing of thinking that if people exercised certain spiritual gifts, then it would mean that they were super Christians or something, That, that somehow they were elevated or superior to everybody else. Have you ever sort of, Notice that, <laughs> either creeping into your own thinking or that you've observed that elsewhere. And so, so that's part of what's going on in the Corinthian church. Another thing that was happening was that some of them were kind of getting caught up in pursuit of these spiritual experiences, you know, these sort of ecstatic experiences of the Holy Spirit and sort of pursuing those and just for their own sakes. And Paul's kind of bringing correction to that. It's not that surprising that that happened because uh, there was a whole lot of temple worship that was normal part of uh, pagan life in Corinth. And so, and they would have these ecstatic experiences as part of their temple worship. And so they'd kind of brought some of that with them into this and it had shaped some of their behavior and their thinking around this. And so Paul was getting these reports back of when they would gather together, and he was hearing that it was complete chaos at times. Like it was just this unruly bunch of people where anything kind of went and uh, and some people were sort of dominating the show at the expense of other people. We had um, have you ever watched a peacock in display? Yeah, the house that we live in now, we bought it, uh, we moved in about eight years ago and there was a peacock that lived on the property. He wasn't ours. He kind of owned the whole ridgeline and so he'd moved between all the different properties. But, uh, but when it was this time of the year when we named him Gregory Peck, I think he had a different name for every house he went to, but that was our name for him, <coughs> which he seemed to respond to. He quite liked it. Um, <coughs> but what he would do at that particular time of the year when it was all about finding a girl, of which there were none on our ridgeline. But anyway, um, he would kind of strut about the place, you know, with his tail kind of full, you know, fan mode. Um, or he'd sit on, the, and he'd sort of sit on our deck or in the backyard and he'd sort of preen these long feathers. It was quite something to watch him do it, actually. But, um, but it was, and he had this really loud call which you could hear for miles. And, uh, and it was, but it was all about all this strutting, all of this calling, all of this preening was all about, look at me, you know? Well, that was happening in the church. There were people that were sort of strutting their stuff and showing off some of the spiritual gifts, in particular, the uh, speaking in tongues, where they would just go off. And it was all about, look at me. And Paul's going, hang on a minute, Let's just stop a moment and let's just be clear about why we're given these things, who receives them, and what we're supposed to be doing with them. So that's what we're going to look at. But that's the context, all right? You're never going to forget the peacock now, are you? <clears throat> all right, why don't we just pray as we enter into this. So Lord, we are, here we are. We're this young church where we're doing our best to follow you individually and as a church, Lord. Because we love you and we want to be your people that represent you well. So Lord, I pray that today that you would come and that you would speak to each one of our hearts. That you would fill us up again by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would release to us the spiritual gifts that you have given us, that you make available to us. And Lord, that you would help us to understand and to see things clearly about Who gets to play with these things and what they're for? So God, would you be with us? Would you do the work within us that you want to do today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dive in to chapter 12. So it's chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. So let's just be clear about spirit, what spiritual gifts are. They are this, this extra enabling, this supernatural enabling that the Holy Spirit gives to us so that we can do and we can know things that we couldn't know and do in and of ourselves. Okay? That's a very, very simple understanding of what they are. But they demonstrate themselves in a multitude of different ways which is why we have this list of all these different things. And we'll unpack that a little bit later on. But let's just look at three very quick points just on this bit of Scripture here. First thing, it is Spirit-initiated and activated activity in us. It is the Holy Spirit that actually even gets us started on this whole thing. We're told by Paul we can't even begin the journey of following Jesus. We can't even say that Jesus is Lord except by the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that enables us to even do that. Now, for the Corinthians, that's a big deal because if they're saying that Jesus is Lord, it means that Caesar wasn't. So it wasn't just a spiritual you know, kind of a statement to make. It had social and political implications as well. It takes them into the world, this statement. But none of us can actually say that except for what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. So it is Him that activates these things in us and it is Him that gives them to us. It is a gift even to get started, which takes us to our next point. These things are gifts. We don't earn them. We can't demand them. We can't possess them. We can't just make them happen. They are gifts to us by the Holy Spirit. All of them are brought to life by Him and by His activity. And He gives them to us at His discretion. You know, we can't sort of get a list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and go, Yes, I like that one. not so keen on that one there, but I like that one over there. You know, like we can't do that. We don't get to sort of just pick and choose. It's not like, you know, the lolly mix at the supermarket. It's uh, it's him that decides who gets what and how we actually get to practice these things. So it leaves, you know, this whole kind of uh, behavior that's been happening in the church of people boasting and sort of jockeying for position based on their spiritual gifts. Um, It doesn't leave any room for that because we haven't actually earned any of this. It's not because of us. It's entirely because of the Holy Spirit. So there's no room for boasting or bragging on our part, just obedience. Okay, and the last little point there is just that it's for everybody. Everyone gets to play. Did you notice in verse 6 where it's saying, uh, it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone? Did I need to read that again. <clears throat> uh, it is the same spirit that activates all of them in everyone. It's for all of us. So look around, folks. We're all included in this thing. In verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Paul doesn't give us the opportunity to, for some of us to be players and for some of us to be spectators. That's not an option. This is an all-in kind of a team that we're a part of. You may not have known that. (laughs) Best to be clear at the beginning, hey? Um, It's for all of us. So what does that mean for us here at Coast Vineyard? It means that our children, we're going to teach them how to pray for one another for healing so that they can pray for their friends or for their family and expect the Holy Spirit to come and heal them. We're going to pray for our young people and we're going to give them opportunities for them to learn how to hear from God and be able to prophesy and bring words of knowledge and wisdom to one another. For our new Christians, as well as our more mature and years Christians, uh, we're going to have opportunities to step into this. It's always going to feel risky because we're not in control of it. But we're going to have, we're committed to seeing people grow in these things because it's for all of us everyone gets to play. C.S. Lewis, who was a wonderful writer, wasn't he? He says this, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. You know, part of us, when we hear that this everyone gets to play part, part of us goes, oh, that's so awesome. I get to do this stuff. And the other part of us goes, are you sure? You know? Maybe it's just for those few over there because I don't know enough or I'm not good enough or I haven't been following the Lord long enough or, you know, like 50 million reasons we think of in that moment, don't we? We don't get the option. We're all in, all of us. And uh, we all get to participate. Okay, so who gets them? We all do. Winner. Good, good, good. means I'm doing my job. you got the hang of it. All right, second thing. Why are we given the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Because we've seen that they can get a bit you know, carried away with just the receiving of them and the exercising of them. And Paul gives us a clue. Well, he actually does, he gives us a clue early on, but he unpacks it a whole lot through these two chapters. If we have a look at verse 7 again, what does it say? To each of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The reason we're given the gifts of the Holy Spirit isn't just to make us feel good. It is to build the church we're to build the church. That's why we're given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. N.T. Wright, who is a contemporary theologian, and we've used uh, his commentary on First Corinthians you know, as kind of our base reference point as we've gone through the series. And if you, if you want to unpack more of this, because honestly, we never have enough on a morning, time-wise, to be able to actually unpack all that there is, his, his commentaries are brilliant. And he says this, if... The whole thing of building the church. If this is what these gifts were, they were not given for people to enjoy the experience receiving or exercising them. Of course, there is exhilaration, a delight in being fully what God has called and equipped you to be. But the point is, is that the gift is God's gift to the whole church through the individual who has received it. Let me just say that again. But the point is, is that the gift is God's gift to the whole church through the individual that, who has received it. God naturally gives gifts to different people in such a way that the church will be bonded together in ways that God sees as appropriate. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to us so that we together, because we're all in, together. Offer those, and as a result, we build the church so that she can be this wonderful, beautiful bride of Christ, he calls us. Together, we can establish, we can encourage, we can strengthen, we can beautify, and we can grow the church when we offer these gifts to one another. Because what does N.T. Wright say? They are God's gift to the whole church. So if ever we are in a place of feeling like we want to hold back or we don't really want to step into this stuff because it's a little bit out of our comfort zone or a lot out of our comfort zone, we're limiting the whole church because this is a gift that God wants to give to all of us through you, which is kind of cool, actually, and a little bit daunting all at the same time. And Paul unpacks that even further in chapter 14. We'll have a look at that shortly. So we know who it is that are given the spiritual gifts. We know why it is that we're given the spiritual gifts. So what are they? Paul lists the spiritual gifts. We've just read verses 8 to 10, and he does another list again in verses 28 to 30. Let's have a look at what he says there. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Okay, so what does all that mean? Okay, there's differences. You'll notice between what he just talked about in verses 8 to 10 and what he's just done in verses 28 to 30, there's differences similarities, like there's overlap between those two lists, but there's also differences, aren't there? He lists some different things. And actually, he does two other lists of spiritual gifts, one in Romans 12 and another one in Ephesians 4. And that happens there as well. There's overlap, but there's also differences. So what do we make of that, of the the fact that they don't seem to be 100% right? Has Paul sort of just, you know, forgotten some? Or some are more important than others? Like, what's the deal? I think what we're seeing there is that Paul's trying to not shoehorn us into a one-size-fits-all, like we have to be just this. I think what we're getting is a glimpse of Paul's vision for the rich and diverse life that there is within the life of God's people. There's loads of space. There's loads of room for different expressions of these gifts to come into play. It's full of variety. While we all have this shared common identity as Christ's family, none of us is the same. So the way these things are going to be worked out in and through us are going to look different. And I think Paul gives us plenty of room for that. Uh, When I was doing some study for this and I was looking uh, through the Renovare Spiritual Formation Bible, they do a bunch of different notes that they unpack, different pieces of scriptures. And this is what they said about this particular one. Each of us is uniquely gifted to live out this endlessly creative identity in fresh and particular ways. So we don't have to look at somebody else and go, oh, well, if I'm ever going to prophesy, it has to look like that. Or if I'm ever going to have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, I've got to do it that way like that person did. We might get some starting points, you know, by as we're learning and growing by watching what other people do because we're smart to do that. However, the way that we're ultimately going to express that is going to be the way that God does it in and through us, which is going to allow for some room for creativity there. So Paul has just gone through some of those lists of different uh, Spiritual gifts, but he's asking all those questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? You know, he kind of does that, and you're like, what is he on about? So, it's a couple of points about that. What God has done is he has decided that no one person is going to have all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's part of this all in approach that he's taken. No one person is going to be an apostle and a prophet and a teacher and a miracle worker and a healer. and a, you know, No one person is going to do it. He's dispersed the gifts throughout the church. So while we may operate in a number of different gifts, we will never have all of them that we will use all of the time. We, he, even different seasons, he allows different gifts to be worked out in and through us. This is why we need each other. And he finishes that chapter by saying, uh, how does he put it? And I will show you a still more excellent way, because he's leading into chapter 13, which is all about love. That is the more excellent way. That actually we can, I'm not going to steal the thunder from chapter 13, but basically he's saying we can do all this stuff with the spiritual gifts, and it means nothing if we don't have love. That love is our highest calling. It is the grid that we build our lives on. It is the filter through which we need to view the spiritual gifts in the right way. And it's also how we're going to use them in the right way. So love is the better way so that we can use these things well to build the church. So let's just have a look at this, what he's kind of alluding to. And then he starts to unpack it. Uh, and later in, uh, or sort of halfway through First Corinthians 12. Whenever Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, whether it's in this letter in Corinthians or if it's in Romans or if it's in Ephesians, he always does it in the context of body ministry, the whole body, all of us ministering to one another, of offering what we have to one another, serving one another. Every single time he does, he packs these things in the context of us being part of a body. Now, this idea or this metaphor of a body isn't actually unfamiliar to the Corinthians. It was a popular metaphor that was used in um, political uh, speaking at the time. Orators would use it when they were talking about um, society, uh, civic duty, politics, any of that. It was always they would use this body analogy with the emperor as the head. And everyone had their part to play in the body, but within the familiar... Uh, description of that and the metaphor that they used, every part had a different status Or, or there was very definitely they used it to reinforce their hierarchical structures. Paul comes along, he takes this familiar idea, this familiar notion and he gives it a whole new story. He weaves a whole new story from it. So he is giving the Christians an opportunity to look at a new and different way a new sense of identity with Christ as the head and Lord and the rest of the body being interdependent, interconnected, reliant on one another, but there is no difference in status. That everyone is of the same value, vital to one another. So uh, It's pretty cool, isn't it? Paul was a genius at taking what was kind of contemporary and turning it around to help people to see a new way forward. So let's have a look at what he says in uh, chapter 12, verse 12 to 14 and verse 26. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. And if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. And then I'm not going to read this part, but he unpacks that a bit further and he sort of describes uh, different various body parts and how we all have a role and how we all need one another. We cannot have just one or two bits of us grow exponentially large, basically, and dominate things. And then he finishes in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. First really important thing to take from this, Each one of us is indispensable. Each one of us has the same value within the body of Christ. Yeah. The people up the front, the person with the microphone, is no more important than the person that is putting out the chairs or looking after the kids or serving the tea and the coffee or just chatting to their neighbour. Carl Tuttle, who was our boss at the Anaheim Vineyard, he used to say, you know, the pay is the same. We're just all in it together. There's There's no pecking order to this. We're just called to serve one another with the gifts that God gives us. So there's no room for spiritual elitism within the church. We're connected. We have equal value. And what happens to one of us happens to all of us. So that's why we can come alongside one another when one of us is going through something really hard because what's happening to them, we care about because they're part of us and we're part of them. That's why we can celebrate the great stuff with people for exactly the same reason. We are in this together and we have equal value in this. Secondly, really important thing is we're not just any old body. Like, you know, this body metaphor, it's not just any old body, it's Christ's body. Jesus was God's ultimate king, and the word that they would use is Messiah. We are the Messiah's body. We are his representatives here on earth, and God has designed it in such a way that as we come together as our body, we reflect him and we represent him. The way that the message translation of the Bible talks about chapter 12, verse 7 is this. It talks about how each one of us has something to do that shows who God is. Isn't that cool? Us together, collectively, reflect God to the world. And we can't do it without one another. Paul alludes to that there being, he's just done this whole thing about sort of making a level playing field, but then he starts talking about greater gifts and that they should pursue them. And it's kind of a little bit confusing because you're like, well, hang on a minute. Haven't you just said that, you know, we're all in this together and it's all a level playing field. And now you're talking about some gifts being greater than others. Like, what is that? So let's have a look. This is where we're going into chapter 14, verses one to five. Pursue love because we've just finished the chapter on love. So we want to pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people, but to God. For nobody understands them since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So the church may be built up because that's the point, right? Remember? So why is he saying that one of these gifts is more important than the other? Is anybody else mildly confused by that? It's because, remember why the spiritual gifts are given to us? It's to build up the church. The gift of tongues, which is the spiritual language, which is between us and God, it's an intimate love language between us. And we often don't understand what we're saying. It's kind of spirit to spirit, talking to God. However, no one else knows what it is we're talking about when we say it out loud. We may not even know what we're talking about when we say it out loud. And Paul, his highest concern is for the church to be built up. So while tongues builds up the life and you know, the relationship of an individual with God, it doesn't build up the whole church. Prophecy does. Words of knowledge and wisdom, uh, of insight into Scripture and teaching, all of that is prophetic. All of that serves the purpose of building the church. That's why he says that prophecy is greater than tongues. He actually wants us to have both. He wants us to have a vibrant, dynamic, growing, intimate relationship with God in our inner world. But he also wants us to be actively pursuing anything that helps us to be able to build one another up in a way that is understandable. So that's why he's talking about that. So don't kind of feel like he's sort of saying one thing on the one hand and then complete something completely different in the next breath. He encourages us, you know, in this pursuit of these things, you know, in in verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them for building up the church. This is stuff that we actually want to lean into, to chase after, not for the experience, not for the spiritual high that might be part of the deal or may not be. It's because then we are equipped to build the church and beyond Because it doesn't just stay in the church. Because we don't just stay in the church. We take it with us wherever we go. That's a whole other thing. Remember that Paul's greatest desire for the church in Corinth is that they would grow into maturity. N.T. Wright says this, His central central emphasis is on the God-given wisdom, understanding, insight and teaching that the church badly needs if it is to go forward rather than around and around in circles if it is to be built up as a community instead of as an accidental collection of private individuals. This is why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's why we need the prophetic in our midst. His chief concern, because he was getting these reports of these sort of of out-of-control, chaotic gatherings when they would be together, is that it was not working to the benefit of all. It was some people walked away having had a fine time because there were people that were going and that was speaking in tongues endlessly and leaving no room for anyone else. And it didn't do anything to build anybody else up, which is why he's bringing correction to that. That's why love is so important, isn't it? That's why he's put the chapter of love right smack in the middle of this. He's asking the Corinthians, are you behaving according to the principle of love? Are you exercising the gifts that God gives you in the spirit of love? Love is what should guide us and direct us as we exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying to them, if you're going to speak in church, it's supposed to make people ready to serve God in the world, not to showcase your latest thing. It's just as relevant for us today, isn't it? We, we, we are as vulnerable to some of these things as the Corinthians were. We need to be aware of the fact that in our culture, we have starved people of spirituality to such a degree that people will chase spiritual experiences because they're desperate for it. I mean, on the one hand, we're telling them we're, we're not spiritual at all. You know, we aren't, but culture is. And on the other hand, people are so desperate for it they'll look for it anywhere. And so, even for people that come to faith in Jesus, they can get a bit caught up in chasing spiritual experiences. I remember when I was younger, you know, you'd go to a conference, you'd have this amazing time and these amazing ministry times, and the worship was just outstanding. You know, you'd go to Easter camp, and the speakers were just like on point. And you know, you've got thousands of young people together; it's just oh, awesome. And then you'd come home, and by about Wednesday. It's like, oh, you've come off the mountain. <laughs> you know, that's what kind of what it felt like. I'm not sure how I climbed down because I didn't mean to, but here I am. You know, and then you'd be like, okay, so where's my next fix? Where's the next thing I could go do to, to come and kind of get back up onto the, you know, sore, you know? I hope I'm not the only one <laughs> that's ever done that. But you start to realise the highs, you know, that's not life. It's not actually going to sustain us through the long haul of faith. We have to be just as careful that in our desire to grow spiritually that we don't just chase the experience. Because if we have, we've missed the point of why He's giving them to us again, remember? The why of why we have spiritual gifts. The other thing of hierarchy is still an issue for us today. We still have a hierarchical structure within our society. Maybe not as rigid as it was for the Romans, but we still have one, don't we? And we still can slip into, because it's such a subtle thing, you know, of kind of prioritizing people who's important who isn't you know my youngest daughter went to a conference just this last week she visited it's another stream of the church that um, she was curious you know to go she was got an invite and she was like oh I'm really curious to see how they do church so she off, off she trundles and she came back please do not hear this as a, as a criticism of another part of the church because it's not it's just how they do things um, but her observation from, you know, 15-year-old's perspective, she came back, she's like, you know, there was a whole bunch of things that were really good that she told us about, but she said, you know, when they were introducing the different pastors that were doing different things, it was like pastor so-and-so and and pastor so-and-so and and pastor so-and-so, she was just like, it just made them make me feel like they were more important than me or the rest of us. Now, they may not have intended for that to happen, but that was her takeaway, her impression of that. So we have to be really careful, don't we? By the way, just on that, some of you come from church backgrounds where that's the normal, and it's, a, it's a sign, I know that people do it as a sign of respect. I get that. However, we don't do that here. We're just Matt and Jacinda. Okay, we figured we didn't get called engineer Matt and teacher Jacinda when we were working our other jobs. So let's just keep it Matt and Jacinda. (laughs) Okay, so you don't have to feel like you've got to do that to show that you respect us in any shape or form or to be kind. Um, It would just be weird. (laughs) So there you go. But but, but that just can be the subtle creeping in of some of that stuff, can't it? I know that when we worked at the Anaheim Vineyard uh, years ago in our 20s, it was a large, large church and we moved from the UK and we went there and I was kind of a bit starstruck by these people. there were worship leaders that I'd seen on stage leading worship with thousands of people at conferences in England. You know, or I'd been listening to them on tapes and CDs. I know, some of you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And here, and and people that I'd heard speak, you know, like, and they were like big names, you know, and here we were around a conference table and meetings with them, or having to work with them, and I was kind of like, oh, you know, it's just little old me from little old New Zealand, little old Bay of plenty. Who knew? Um, and I was just in awe of them. However, there's danger to that. Thank the Lord, He kind of nailed that pretty quickly after we got there, because I realised as you're hanging out with these people and. I won't go into details, but after they have beans for dinner, there are certain things that happen even to them. That happen to the us lesser, the lesser mortals. Um, they were just regular people. They were just regular people being obedient to the call of God on their lives, offering the gifts that they had to serve the church. And for some of them, that meant that they were doing that with thousands of people and others of it meant that we were doing it with 10. The pay's the same in the kingdom. Two problems with the fact that we tend to do this to people, because I had put those people on a pedestal. They hadn't asked to be put there. But what happens is, is, that two things happen. One, we can develop unrealistic expectations of the people we've put on the pedestal when actually they're just human beings, flawed and fallible and broken, just like we are. So, so that's a problem because we're expecting more of them than actually is realistic, and that's just not fair. The other thing that happened is I would shut down. I would look at them and think, you have to be that to be able to do what they do. So I couldn't possibly lead worship. Or I, couldn't, I certainly didn't ever think I'd be speaking in a church. You know, I can't do those things because I'm not like them. Good news, folks. We do not have to be like them. We just be us. We just be obedient. obedience is vastly more important than anointing. We're just us. We be obedient to the call that God has in our lives and we offer the gifts that he gives us for the sake of all. That's what we need to do. But those things will creep in, so we need to watch out for those. The other thing, just finishing up, kind of nearly finishing up, um, is that we place a high value on individualism within our culture, don't we? Especially sort of the rugged individualism here in New Zealand where anyone can do anything with a number eight wire. Problem with that is that we tend to get a little bit over involved with ourselves. We only think about ourselves. We're not actually that concerned with what's going on with our neighbor or the person sitting next to us in church or the person that we work with. We cannot let that happen. We need to be thinking about the fact that we are one body, we are interconnected, and we need to be thinking about loving On other people. It takes us beyond ourselves. That's why love's so important. It stops us being selfish. Okay, I'm just looking at the time. I have this one other thing. It's about women in church. Do I? Yeah, all right then. All right, here we go. I'm going to go quick, but I'm going to try and tease the point. 1 Corinthians 14 33 to 35. We've had all this stuff on spiritual gifts. We've had chapter 13 on love. In chapter 11, last week, uh, we see that Paul has an expectation. He He makes this assumption that women are going to be leading in prophecy and prayer within the church. And then we get to chapter 14, verse 33 to 35. Paul's kind of taken a bit of a hit for this one. Let's read it. As in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But should be subordinate as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And here I am with the microphone. (laughs) There is some irony, I know. Now, look, I know that for some of you, you're like, this is not an issue. But we've had people, it is still an issue. We've had people that have come and visited our church who have not been able to stay because I have the microphone. It is still an issue, and Paul is the one that people have referred back to about this issue of women speaking in church. Now, there's actually dispute over this piece of Scripture, because we have a number of manuscripts written of this letter, and these verses are not on all of them. So there is some dispute as to whether Paul was the one who even wrote it. It's possible that some overzealous scribe added it in because of stuff that was happening. Uh, So we've got that as a potential problem with this. But even if he did write it, there are a number of different scenarios that he may have been speaking into that were particular to the Corinthian church. You've got to remember that at the time, they would have gathered together and women would have been segregated from men in all likelihood, just the way they are in the synagogues. And the services would have been uh, led and spoken in Greek. Many women because of the social norms of the time were not taught Greek. They only knew their local dialect. And so you've got the men over here and the women over here, and what may have been happening is that the um, women are getting bored because they have no idea what's being said and are starting to talk amongst themselves, or, which is just definitely a possibility... Or what may have been happening is they were calling out to their husbands to explain what was happening because they didn't know what was happening. And the other situation that may have been in the mix is that because they were all called to weigh prophecy and interpretation of tongues, is that they may have been critiquing their husband's prophecy or speaking in tongues unkindly in public, which would not have been honouring of him at all we don't actually know. But here is what N.T. Wright has to say. He is a wiser and more studied man than myself. Here is what he has to say. What is clear is that this is a particular problem posed from within the cultural setting of the time, and that is Paul's overriding concern, if the passage is indeed written by him. It's for order, peace and mutual upbuilding when the congregation comes together for worship rather than for chaos, interruption and dissension. Because if that had been happening, it would have gotten in the way of the highest and most important thing, which is the building up of the church. John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, he has this to say about Paul on women. The clearest proclamation of the position of women is given by Paul in another letter of his in Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Or Christ Jesus, actually. The context of this passage is that both men and women have free access to the eternal life and the kingdom of God. And with the coming of Christ, we see women being related to in a whole new way. And we do. We watch Jesus interact with them in ways that were culturally not okay. And we see Paul doing the same thing and he responds to those things in letters. So this is likely to be an isolated Situation: a particular situation within that church with what was happening at the time. What does that mean for us here at Coast Vineyard? I get the mic. Here at Coast Vineyard, we believe that God gives His Spirit freely to all who come to Him, that He invites those of us who follow Him into the adventure of participating with Him and bringing His way of doing things, His kingdom, into the world and that all followers will serve him, the church, and the community based on the gifts that he gives us and the character he develops within us, not based on our gender or age or skin colour or social or educational or financial status. Okay? We're all in. All of us. And as Paul has just been telling us in these last couple of chapters, we are one body. And we all have a part to play. And so this is how we together are going to establish, build, encourage, beautify, strengthen, and grow the church. So let's always do our best to use love as our filter through which we see the spiritual gifts, the way that they're meant to be, and to be able to use them in a way that is loving and serves the church as she is built. So who's in? Yeah. I don't know about you. Sounds good to me. I'm all in.